0: Peace and blessings community. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Karma Chronicles podcast, where we speak with the nation and world's leading healing centered practitioners. Today, we talk with Dr. Sean Jenright, the creator and pioneer of healing centered engagement. Our conversation next. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Chris Noon, your host. I'm here with Dr. Jen Wright. Dr. G, how you doing? What's up? What's up, Chris? It's great to see you. It's great to see you. These last 12 months have been a whirlwind. We've gone from doing our work in person to doing Mm -hmm. it virtual. You've gone from getting on planes and traveling all over the country to really working straight out of your office. How have you adjusted to these last 12 months?
1: Yeah, man, it's been it has been crazy. You know, um, you know, we, we as a society right now sit directly between trauma and transformation. And what that's meant for me is not getting on planes and, you know, not having to travel. I've had to be present. Um, I've had to really just slow down, um, take stock of what is good. Um, and, and just really kind of just sit with myself. I've spent more time in this house and in my office and in my, um, you know, in my, my neighborhood than I have ever done. And it's, it's been really meaningful to, you know, to really kind of get to know my wife a little differently, a little deeper. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? <laughs> but it's really been good for us to, we've, we've really been able to kind of just slow down. I didn't realize, man, how much, traveling um how much being on an airplane how much being in conferences and even though i love spreading the message and i love speaking around the world and the country it's a passion of mine i didn't realize how much it cost me in terms of my my ability to be present with my family and with myself so um but i think more than anything else have been it's it's forced me to slow you know to really slow down
0: that's real and what you're really talking about is relationships yeah. You're talking about building those bonds with family, with community, and that's what it stands to test the time.
1: Right? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Now, as I read through your bio, we can be here all day. But you are an author. You are a professor in the Africana Studies Department at San Francisco State and a senior researcher. You're also um the um one of the leading pioneers of these healing centers, the leading pioneer healing center in engagement work and work with young people. You also are the chairman of the board of the California Endowment, on and on and on.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, man. I mean that. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've done, you know, some stuff, man. But what's, what's really important for me, actually, I was just having a conversation uh, with my partner and 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 wife, um, Nedra, last night. And what's really important to me is that. Um, it's years of being in the front line, man. It's it's working with young people, years of working with families um, and really seeing what, not only what young people need, not only what families need, but also being able to provide them a space for them to not just survive a dream, right? For them to actually, for us to be able to support with aspects of their lives that they don't get in school, that they don't get, from therapists that they don't get from church sometimes, right? And so what's what's important for me is not all the titles as much as uh, the rich experience uh, that I've had and the blessings that I've had to really take the lessons from working with young people and their families um, and then being able to kind of share it to the world about what I think matters.
0: Now, you touch upon dreams, and this is something that we're going to circle back about because dreams plays a pivotal part in your newest book that we'll speak on and the Healing Centered Engagement Certification that we'll also speak on. But as we talk about dreams, you also were a visioneer, you and your wife 30 years ago as a college student at San Diego State, working with young people. Over all the decades, and I don't mean to age time, you come just, on man, right? come on. Yeah, I'm old, I'm
1: old. It's okay, it's okay. Right. It's right. all right. I got I got I got I got all this platinum in my hair. It ain't great.
0: I see that. <laughs> see, that's a great perspective to have. How has young people and work with young people changed over the years that you've noticed and how has it stayed the same?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um you know, and I'm gonna date myself, man. Like when I started when I started working with young people back in San Diego, um, the primary way that you can go anywhere in this country, it was focused on addressing problems of young people, trying to prevent young people from, you know, doing substance abuse or something like that. Um, or really seeing young people as, um, some problem or pathology, right? I call it PPP, right? Prevention, pathology, or problem. And in order to get funding and in order to work with youth, you had to do one of those three things. Um, and so when I started working with youth in San Diego, um, just, it wasn't just, you know, like, for example, when I went, when I was in San Diego working at a middle school, they, 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 um, my job was to actually take the students that got kicked out of class. Right. It was to deal with their problems. That job. Right? Yeah. It was like that, you know, like these are the badass kids. Deal, do something with them. Um, and so I realized that early on that, you know, these young people, what they were dealing with at school, um, you know, they, they were, they were considered, you know, problems at school, but the real issue wasn't at school. The real issue was they just got in a fight with their mama. The real issue was, is that, they, they were angry at their daddy for leaving. The real issue was, is that they were afraid to walk home because crack cocaine had just taken over chocolate cities of America and there was gun violence, right? They were, they were, they were dealing with problems that didn't show up on the radar of schools. And so my early work with them was trying to really kind of get underneath that. And so what shifted is mostly is for some, for, for the most part, you know, Um, there was a shift when people started seeing young people as assets and trying to, you know, the positive youth development and the youth development work. Um, uh, but the most, I think, significant shift what, that I've seen is that we really, we really understand now that developing and supporting young people, Matt, is not just about, it's not just about give me the right curriculum give me the right tools, right? It's not just that. It's actually you have to transform the lives of the adult who's working with young those young people. Right. The young the adults have to be healthy. Like, how can I actually expect to have a powerful impact on young people if I'm dealing with my own stuff, right? And so anyway, I think that's a significant shift in the field. Um, I see a lot of uh, providers and therapists and social workers and teachers and counselors really taking up uh, this notion of healing and the significance that healing has in the healthy development of our young people, the significance that healing and well-being have in facilitating learning in schools, um, and really the significance of healing and creating healthy learning environments for our young people. That, and we didn't have that, um, you know, when I started back in the blah,
0: blah, 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 blah years. (laughs) There you go, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, doing this work up here in Oakland, California, but really doing this work transcendently, not only across the nation, but now the world. Healing-centered engagement, which is what you pioneered, really touches upon work with families beyond just a young person, work with adults like you just talked about. One of the things that you also mentioned is with this work, it goes beyond identifying symptoms of young people and it goes beyond that but in everyday language how does one go about if i'm a young practitioner right now listening how does one go on about extending myself beyond the symptoms and looking more at that holistic healing work
1: i think a lot of you know for folks who are just getting kind of into youth development work or trying to support young people um you're going to get youth development training, and your, your organization is giving you some tools and curriculum to kind of use activities and you know so forth to actually support young people. But I think what's really important in terms of trying to really provide a holistic way to support young people is first we got to understand, you know, what are the challenges that young people are bringing into your after-school program? What are the challenges that young people are bringing into your classroom? Right? the way that you're trained, and I'm going to tell you, you know, for teachers, um, the first thing we're going to train is that, you know, that there are students who are discipline problems, right? There are students who are, you know, bad or misbehaving or whatever, right? And if we succumb to that way of thinking that some students are bad or some people, some students are just discipline problems, then we're not using a healing centered practice. And so one of the really important Um, steps in doing healing-centered work is to understand the broader context. What's happening in a young person's life? Where does that young person live? What's the relationship that young person has with his mama and his daddy? How's that young person dealing with his or her or their sexual identity? Has that young person had a chance to eat? Um, What does that young person dream about? Um, There's so many factors that have an impact on young people that if we're not have at least some awareness of that then we just kind of have a myopic way of thinking a focused way of thinking that this young person's life exists in my after school program or in my classroom and that's not the truth the truth is they're with you for 2 hours a day um but the rest of the day they're elsewhere experiencing life that shows up in your classroom so the question right. is is how do you take in consideration all that other stuff in those 2 hours that you have them?
0: right and, you know, Dr. Jenner, what I've noticed and it's just in our conversation right now is as you speak on your experience, clearly this work has resonated with you as well, personally, um, with all these years yeah. working with young people. You healing center and engagement and how we implement it, you know, you're not just talking the talk, you've done the work, you've mm-hmm. been in classrooms, you've been in summer camps with young people, you've worked in a juvenile justice department system. What are some of the stories that really, essentially, we are going to keep it real. What are some of the stories that prove to you that this worked?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, Chris. Um, Well, I'm going to give you a couple stories, right? So, and I'm going to date myself. I don't care. (laughs) So the first story, when we had our first, um, me and my boy, um, his name is Dr. Daniel Walker now, but it was, we used to call him Dan Daniel Walker. Uh, we were in college in San Diego and we wanted to, we wanted to have a summer camp for Black kids in San Diego and we didn't have no money. We didn't have nothing, right? Uh, and we decided, we talked to the people at the university. They gave us some housing. We raised some money and um, we wanted to have a camp, a five day camp where we would focus. Well, we didn't just focus on like the problems and the prevention kind of stuff, man. We wanted the kids to have some fun. We wanted the kids to, to learn about themselves to learn about their identity, right? Uh, and so we weren't sure what the hell we was going to do. Um, but what we found out that happened in 1987. Okay, there it goes. Everybody gasp. <laughs> there you go. I ain't mad at you.
0: We call that OG it's
1: seasoning. OG oh, baby.
0: There you go. You
1: better recognize. All right. So in nineteen, so nineteen eighty seven, we had this camp, and I remember at this camp, it was almost like there's this movie called Field of Dreams, and there's this scene where this guy's building this baseball field in a he's building a baseball field in a field of corn, mm-hmm. Uh and and magically these these baseball you know legends come and play on this field, and there's this theme that says, "If you build it, they will come and so it was almost like when we built this camp um it was like the field of dreams because the young people came to the camp with with this need to heal now we didn't call it that at the time, but when the young people came and felt safe enough to talk about their own sexual abuse, and they felt safe enough to talk about. The shame that some that the shame that they had over their thick lips and kinky hair or the shame that they had because their mama was substance abusing. They had what we what we created was more than a camp. Right. It was a sanctuary for tender growth. Right. And we didn't know at the time what we were doing. Um, and so we knew that it was important to bring people together in community mm. to deal the, to deal with the kind of issues that weren't being dealt with. So that was kind of like one story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a broader story. <laughs> um, another story <laughs> happened at a summer camp years later where we were, we were working with, uh, we do a lot of work around gender and gender violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were, we were, we were trying to, we had some gender separate meetings where the, where the young women were talking about their issues with gender violence um, and you know, the young men were talking about their issues. And we brought them out after like two or three hours of them sharing their stories separately. We brought them together on a bright sunny day in Santa Cruz on this, this lawn. And as the women came onto the lawn, they were all crying like, Everyone was in tears and the, the young men were watching it. And, um, you know, as an adult there, I'm supposed to like, you know, figure out what, what's, what I'm supposed to do. The tears began turned from crying to wailing. Like they began to wail. And it was almost as if it was a ritual. It was almost as if the deeper they cried, the better they felt. And, and, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, I was my, my, my safety logic mind was like, Oh, we got to finish, wrap this up and get to lunch and go to the next workshop and the next speakers here. And the power of their wailing stopped me in my tracks. Right. And I just listened to them wail and cry and cry and wail. And then the young men who had been separated from them um, came together and they all started embracing each other and all the young men and all the young women were just crying together and it was almost as if they're crying they were getting out the stuff that had harmed them in their own way mm. and and the you know us adults just watched it happen right we watched it happen and every year at the, at the camp for those folks who've ever been to camp akili re- realize that there's a magic that happens that you can't explain until you be in it and so that is what kind of taught me that there's something else that's missing in our humanity work with young people, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just about giving them giving them some curriculum, it's not just about you know, you know being the right polished mentor, right? It's really creating that sanctuary space, that sense of emotional and spiritual safety where young people can feel safe enough to get that stuff out, right?
0: I appreciate the context, and I appreciate you sharing. I think one of the things that really stood out to me about that antidote is agency, mm-hmm. right? You said the adults sat back and watched the young man go over to the young woman, and together, they yeah. cried together. And that's what's really led to healing-centered engagement work now 20, 30 years later. yeah, And this is what Flourish Agenda really focuses on, from my understanding, and what we do. Yeah. One of the Bridges of that is what we're calling Healing Centered Engagement Certification mm-hmm. that HappenStat will launch and is live now, but will launch in a very, yes, very yes, coming future. Yes, feature. yes, yes. For the everyday talk, for the person, for the practitioner, for the youth serving organization listening to this right now, what is Healing Centered, Centered Engagement Certification?
1: Um Well, let me first answer what is healing-centered engagement, and then we'll talk about the certification. Healing-centered engagement is a process for you to restore your own healing and well-being so that you can heal others. And you're, as a youth worker, you are not able to be profoundly, you can't really have a profound impact on young people if you're still dealing with your stuff. And I got hella stories, Chris. I don't want to take too much time, man, about (laughs) adults who are messed up, who think, because they got a degree, because they got a legal degree, because they got a job that they can actually be the mentor of young people, right? Just because they're adults. Adulthood is not a final product. Surprise, right? We all have ongoing work to do. So that's healing centered engagement is about that journey, right? Mm-hmm. It's about that journey about um, who we need to become that to, to, to be um, powerfully um, impact or have a powerful impact on young people. So um, the healing centered engagement certification, uh, for years, I've been talking about the power of healing and well-being and what we need to do and how the youth development field and education field needs to think about healing and well-being, these ideas that are rooted in, in indigeneity, these ideas that are rooted in African ancestries. These are not all new ideas, but we need to bring them to the forefront. And I've been talking all over the country and all over the world about it, but people usually say at the end of a talk, they say, okay, how do I do it?
0: Right. Exactly. So what, what, what,
1: what, what do I do? What do I do, Dr. G, that was, that was aspiring. What do I do? So, um, the healing center engagement certification is a roadmap that allows you to understand how to provide the context for healing in your organization. It's not just a series of activities that are disconnected, but the certification says basically if you understand these concepts, culture race and identity agency transformative relationships meaning aspirations hopes and dreaming if you want under, to really understand that karma karma
0: mm-hmm.
1: you understand karma that you can then implement these principles in your own work setting we have activities that allows for the learner to to practice those but you can flip it man you could develop your own karma playlist right um, uh, but the, it's the principle. So the, the certification says when you're done, it says that you're able to actually, uh, with some fidelity, practice a healing centered process in your work. You have the option of getting three units of uh, continuing education units from San Francisco State University. You um, successfully complete it. You get a, a certification. It's roughly about 25 to 30 hours of instruction. You could do it as a group. Um, with one of our amazing trainers, you could do it individually. You know, you, we give you different ways to do it, right? But, but the thing is to do it because you come out, um, a much more, um, profound youth development worker or, or teacher or anyone that's working with young people.
0: Thank you so much for that context. And to find more information about healing centered engagement certification, where can our practitioners go?
1: You can go to flourishagenda.com if you go to go to our website you'll see tags and go scroll down to the bottom you'll see sign up for our healing centered engagement you can actually also go to our website and sign up and receive more information about our healing centered engagement
0: certification thank you so much dr jenright and as we wrap up as you mentioned flourish agenda and flourishagenda.com let's wrap up talking about flourish agenda this is your baby this yeah. is your wise baby the co-creators Co-leaders of Flourish Agenda, Sean and Nedra Jin write, in 2021, what is Flourish up to and what is the impact that Flourish is aiming to have in 2021 and move forward as we really lean on this possibility thinking?
1: So Flourish Agenda is about taking the experience and knowledge about what's, what people are dealing with in their schools or neighborhoods and communities and coming up with solutions to those problems, both at the institutional level. Um, also uh, in our relationships with each other, and then also what individual folks need to do. And so Flourish Agenda is, you know, it's an organization that's always at the vanguard of creating a new paradigm for how we work with young people, Mm -hmm. particularly young people of color. And we are unapologetic about it um, because we know what works. Um, And so in 2021, we're launching our our healing center and engagement certification, and I'm launching a new book. This new book is really the next phase of, of of our thinking around healing work. The book right now is called Pivot, and it's and it's based on these these four shifts that we need to make um, in our in our own work for justice and our own work for supporting young people. And I'm not going to go through all the shifts, but they're but they're about our ability to do deep reflection. Uh, about who we are. It's our ability to create spaces of belonging and care and vulnerability. It's about our ability to have and see beyond the problems that we're facing. You know, one of the things I say is the greatest casualty of oppression is the destruction of our ability to dream beyond it. Hmm. In other words, oppression tells us that we can't see beyond oppression. Wow. And, 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 and part of our disease, so to speak, part of what we need to heal from is the thinking that, um, is to heal from, um, um, I forgot the name of this book, but it's, she calls it problem loving. Mm-hmm. And this notion that all we can do is see and love the problem and think we, to, and try to solve the problem. Now we need to solve problems, but we also have to create and cultivate our ability to see beyond it, right? To, to have an aspiration aspirational thinking. And this is why dreaming is important. Dreaming um, and our imagination is rooted, man, in a deep indigenous and deep African spirituality and our ability to use and dream and imagine a world that is not predicated on just uh, ending suffering, right? We need to dream a world and systems that actually create the kind of well-being that we want to um to create in our society. Um and then this last one just is around how we need to shift from this hustle to flow, right? And, mm-hmm. and really trying to understand the consequences of capitalist culture on our own well-being. And so the book that's a lot of I probably gave you too much Chris right now for the folks <laughs> out there but you know I'm just trying to you know I'm just trying to create a little well. a little a little playlist for y'all but the the book will be coming out the end of uh, 2021 so I hope everybody goes out and buys it.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Karma Chronicles, Dr. Jim Wright, the initial, the premier Karma Chronicles. So for next episode, we'll dig into the Karma Chronicles a little bit more as we continue to talk to Dr. John Jim Wright and also the nation's other leading healing practitioners. Dr. G.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Appreciate you. Peace and love. One love. Peace, y'all.